Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. Happy January. The last Sunday in January, and no snow. I know I'm tempting fate when I say that, people. I know I am. I'm just going with the theory that if you praise the Lord for something, he'll give you more of the same. So I'm just, I'm here. I'm doubling down on bottle January and sell it in February. Man, so grateful. We have, for the past few weeks, been talking about origin stories. We've been talking about the story of Abraham, but we've been talking about your story. And we're far enough into this series now that I've had a few weeks of conversations and feedback. And here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that, that there are lots of us who think our story is not that big of a deal. It's common. Unremarkable. Boring. Or, some of you feel like your story is, is not the kind of story you would want to tell. It's tragic, or sad, or painful. And I guess I've realized over these few weeks that a, a, a reason, a significant kind of reason behind this is that I disagree with that. I think your story is better than you know. And I think it's bigger than you know. And that's not just preacher talk. You know what preacher talk is, right? It's not. It's, it's true. But it's a truth that may need to be uncovered. And that's what these five weeks are about that all lead to this idea of legacy, which we're going to celebrate on Super Bowl Sunday together. The idea of legacy, but in order to get to legacy, you have to know your story. You have to know how God is making you into the person you are and the journey he's taking you through, and that's what we're doing. We're talking about the origin of your story, how you became you and what God has done to get you there. To do that, we've been talking about Abraham, my goodness. Leaving the lap of luxury, right? The New York City of his time. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And when he leaves, his whole enterprise leaves, and off to the desert they go, and he follows God by faith. And then, of course, we, we walk through the embarrassing moments of his deception with his wife and the king of Egypt. and But that's all in the past. Let me pick you up with the story now. Abraham has left Egypt in the south, and he's traveled north to what we would call the promised land, Canaan. The promised land that God was going to give him. This was his inheritance. This is what he had been waiting for. And no sooner does he get there than a feud breaks out between 
his people and his nephew Lot's people. There wasn't enough grazing ground and the, uh, the workers were fighting with one another. And so Lot and Abraham separate. This is where Lot goes towards Sodom. And that story is more complicated than you might think. And, and part of the reason is, is that Abraham doesn't have his own kids. How is he going to become a great nation? And all of his hopes are pinned on this nephew Lot who is now gone and doing his own thing. No sooner does Lot leave than God says to Abraham, come with me. Let me show you something. And he reiterates to him the promise. He walks him up a mountain and he says, look out there, all of that. It'll be your families. That's your inheritance. Go take a walk in every direction. That's what I'm going to do for you. It's a great story. You'd think after that it was smooth sailing, not so fast. In fact, in the very next verses, within the same chapter, here come an invading army. These were tribal armies, and they come and they take over Sodom, and in taking Sodom, they take Lot. They just conquer it and lead them all away. And word comes to Abraham what's he gonna do it turns out Abraham's quite a military strategist and he puts together his own posse he's got 318 men in his family who will fight with him it's a big enterprise and they go off and they go after that marauding army and they defeat them and they're on their way back. They got Lot and all his people and they got all the people from Sodom and they've got all the loot and all the winnings and they're making their way back. This is Abraham's moment. He has entered into the promised land. He's in Canaan and now he is the victorious king. He is the guy who has showed himself to be powerful. If you want to set yourself up for life, that's how you do it. Let me read to you what happens next because this is one of those moments where everything changes. We pick up in verse 17 of chapter 14 in the book of Genesis. It says, After Abram returned from his victory over Ketalomer and all his allies, you say, is that how you pronounce it? I have no idea. I have no idea. But I heard somebody say once, if you say it fast and with conviction, people will believe you. There's a lot of that out there today, isn't there? Just keeping it real, folks. The king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. Now, let me jump forward to verse 21. If you're following along in your Bibles, I'm going I'm to jump down to verse 21. From verse 17 to verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, um, Give me back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you've recovered. You, do you get the tension here? He's, he's having a conversation with a, a, a man who's clearly more powerful than he is, and he's trying to get back his people, but he's offering a payment, as it were. You keep all the goods you've recovered. And Abram, verse 22, replied to the king of Sodom, I solemnly swear to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal thong from that which belongs to you. 
Otherwise, you might say, I'm the one who made Abram rich. That's an interesting thing. At just the moment, he's supposed to be consolidating power and wealth. He turns it down. And the reason he turns it down is he sees another story being written. Verse 24 says, I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre. You're not going to get credit for this story of what God is going to do. I skipped over a couple verses because I want to come back to it, and I want to camp there for a minute because they're, they're fascinating verses. In verse 18, it, it tells us that someone else shows up. It says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and the priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. And so here comes this, this other man, Melchizedek. And I'm going to be honest with you, Melchizedek is like the great man of mystery of the old. He's clearly a significant. The king of Salem literally was the king of Jerusalem. That's where it comes from. And he's clearly significant. In fact, the New Testament dedicates almost a chapter in Hebrews chapter 7 to this character, Melchizedek, who becomes a type, a picture, an image of, of Jesus Christ. And it says in verse 19, it says, Melchizedek blessed Abram with his blessing. And so here's this guy. Remember, there, there's, no, there's no such thing as Christianity. There's no such thing as Judaism at this point. Abram is following by faith, and the whole story is being written. And here comes this mystery guy, Melchizedek. And it says that he's the king of Salem and he's a priest of the Most High God. And it, clearly God has been at work in, in his life. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And interestingly, the, this place, where this took place, just on the, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, a few years ago, archaeologists in Jerusalem think they've uncovered what is literally the altar of Melchizedek, one of the, the oldest altar discovered, going back 4,000 years. They don't have a way to verify it, but there's, there's, there's all these clues and tales, and you can look at them online pointing to, here it is, the first place, the place where the worship of God began, and the altar and the sacrifice is made. Mm. Verse 20 says, he continues the blessing. He says, and blessed be God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Now, <laughs> he's already told the king of Sodom, you're not getting credit for this. And then the king of Salem comes and says, neither are you. God did this for you. Uh, We've already seen Abraham can get salty, man, and he's got, he's got, he's got a posse with him. It says, but here's what happened. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. 
This is literally a, a tithe. It's an, it was an act of worship. This is the first place in Scripture that the idea of, of a tithe is introduced. It would become part of the Old Testament law, and then in the New Testament, Jesus would talk about it as a, as a place, a beginning, a standard, where, where a tenth is set aside. And honestly, some of you are like me. You grew up in a home where this was practiced, and honestly, it's the most natural thing in the world. You, you feel bad if you don't do it because that's how you grew up. But a lot of you, a lot of you, you, you did not grow up in that. And it's like, it's like a ten of what? It's like, that's, that's like all new. And I want to say, I have deep admiration for people who come to faith later and develop this habit as an act of worship, that setting aside that 10%, that 10th, that tithe as an act of worship. And it's why I admire so much what's happening here with Abram, who in the middle of nowhere, at the moment he could have been consolidating power, says, I want to give some of it away as an act of worship. Now, in both of these instances, there's something really, really important happening. In these, in these words where it says, Abraham gave Melchizedek, this, this place of offering and worship, he's, he's recognizing this very important truth that there is something at work there. In his dealing with Solom, Sodom and his dealing with Melchizedek, he's recognizing that there is a bigger story. That something bigger than him was at work. He recognizes something all of us have to come to grips with, and that's this. Your story is not about you. Goodness, that's a hard thing to accept. Your story is not about you. If you need that in like flowerly language, I think it was the Westminster Confession that's flowery enough that says, you know, that the, the great goal of man is to glorify God. Rick Warren wrote in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, the opening words, it's not about you. So much for a self-help book, right? Not about you. He just recognized that every blessing, every promise, and every struggle was a part of a story that was bigger than him. And what he was trying to get to was the reality of a bigger story. Tammy and I were watching a, a, a show the other day. It was, we're in the it, TV is so different now, isn't it? Right? You know, the whole season comes out at once. You can stay up till three o'clock in the morning, binge watching eight hours of something. It's crazy. I didn't do that, but uh, you could. And we were watching this, and, and it was the second season of a show. And I had watched the first season, and she had, but I honestly, I'd watched the first season so long ago, I couldn't remember what happened. So all these people are showing up, and she's like, "Who's that?" I'm like, "I think that's that's." That's his brother, and that's her sister, and that's his wife. No, 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 that's not his wife, that's his sister. No, 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 okay, it's, I was wrong about that. And then I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm like, I'm, literally, I'm online looking it up. I'm Googling who's who. Because to understand the story, you just don't need to know who their name is. You need to know whose they are. Now, this is really important. Because in order to know who I am, I have to know whose I am. See, see the reality of the story of, of who I am is not just in who I am. It's rooted in 
whose I am, who I belong to. And this, this is where the story becomes bigger and better. Because my story is a part of his story. It's a part of what he's doing in the world. Let me show you just one beautiful little verse. It'd be easy to memorize if, if you're looking for a verse to memorize. And it, I think it, it sums up in some ways. It's in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to, if you want to turn there. And it, it, it's, a, it's a verse that, that sort of sums up what this life that belongs to Jesus looks like and, and how our story becomes different. Let me read it to you in verse 6. It says, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. What does that mean? He raised us from the dead. <laughs> you know, you, uh, you, uh, you haven't died physically, but... But, but, he, but he's speaking to something significant here. He's saying, listen, when, when you died when Jesus died and you were raised to life with him, you have a new life. You're, the old life is a dead life. He's, he's drawing a contrast here between the old and the new. You, your old life is a dead life. You have a new life in, in Jesus and you've been seated with him in heavenly realms. And this doesn't mean that you've got like a, a seat in the clouds, right? It's not like there's like fog and like, like the fog we sometimes have in here. Some of you love that stuff and others hate it. I get it, right? It's, not, it's like, oh, it's like heaven in here and some of you think it's like something else but right we it, it, that's not what it's talking about when it says you're seated in heavenly realms it's it, it's talking about you've got a new way of living you've got a new perspective you've got something new to say like Abraham to say yes to and and also you've got things to say no to like Abraham I, I can't do that I can't get entangled with you dead and, and, and life. That's what this verse is talking about. You, you've got, you're dead to some things and you're alive to some things. You say yes to some things and you say, no, I can't get entangled with that. But because I'm a disciple of Jesus, I, I do that. I say that. I live that way. I go there. That's what he's talking about here. He says, you were dead and now you've been seated in heavenly places. You have a new perspective, a new way of looking at life, a, a, a new list of things you say yes to and some things you say, you say no to. That's, that's what it looks like to be, that's an act of worship. That's what it looks like to be a disciple, right? A disciple of Jesus, a, a follower of Jesus, one who says no to some things because we're dead to them and yes to some other things. And what does that look like in your life? Like, what does it look like to say, no, because I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm dead to that. I'm alive to this. This is my new life. I, I say yes to this. But I've decided to say no to this. Last fall, our daughter was studying abroad in Paris, and Tammy and I went on a super short trip. We were there for four days, but it wasn't even four full days, but it was great. We got to see our, see our daughter, and Paris is always a good idea, as they say. I mean, if you've not been to Paris, put it on your list. I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? They love butter and meat. 
can I get an amen, right? <laughs> and pastries, pastries. Hot chocolate you could stand a fork up in. I mean, it's just... Woo-wee. They also love some weird stuff, but we're not talking about that today. And we just, you know, the Eiffel Tower, the Louvre. <laughs> kidding, kidding. I did that to my daughter the whole time we were there just to annoy her. Right. It's amazing. I mean, the, the art. Somebody says, you learn French? Nope. No, I didn't. I mean, a little bit. Bonjour. Bonjour is a great word, because if you go south to Italy, it just turns into bonjourno. <laughs> don't, don't do that. It would be a bad luck. Just, right? We, I knew we. Why didn't you learn French? Because I'm not French. <laughs> it was four days, people. Four days. I'm not going back. There was, there was a limit to my commitment is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not being unkind. If I was picking up a language, it's probably not French. Now, my, my daughter's had nine years of French. I don't know why, but she's got like nine years. And I figure I paid for that French, so it's sort of mine as well. So she was like my interpreter. Now, here's my point. There's a limit to my devotion. I consume but I'm not a disciple of that. But I am a disciple of Jesus, and because I'm a disciple of Jesus, I've just decided there's stuff I'm saying no to. And there's other stuff. I'm like, I'm all in. That's how I'm gonna live. That's what I'm gonna give myself towards because I'm a disciple of Jesus. And that means there's things I say yes to and there's things I say no to because I'm dead to that and I've been seated in heavenly places. In other words, I've got a new perspective on how to live. There's one last thing in this passage. I love how it finishes. Let me read from the beginning. He says, so he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms. And then it says, because... Because we are united with Christ Jesus. We are united with Christ Jesus, right? We're one with him. Our lives are, are, are aligned with him. His story is my story. I'm part of a bigger story, not because I'm a bigger person. I'm part of a bigger story because I'm a part of his story. I'm united with him. And I see my life, my, my victories and promises and struggles, I see them all in the context of his story. Now I've said all of this this morning to get to one phrase. I could sum up one word. <laughs> Called. You see, I have this deep sense in my life that I'm called to this. I'm called. I'm a part of his story. He's called me to do and to be this. I'm a part 
of his story. I remember probably the first time when, at least as a couple, we had this deep sense of, of calling. We had been married, I was doing the math, I think we'd been married like eight or nine months. And we went on a, a, a road trip to Pennsylvania, and we were listening to this series of tapes by uh, this guy. We didn't know who he was, but we, somebody had recommended him to us. It was all on it was all on starting churches that reach people who didn't go to church. And honestly, we drove down to Pennsylvania and God just did a work in our collective lives. Remember that? I mean, we're, by the time we're driving back from Pennsylvania, we're planning on like picking up roots. Man, we're, we're going to, we're just going to, I mean, we were we, rosy colored glasses. We thought this is going to be the greatest thing on earth. We did not know. We, we felt a deep sense of calling. So we came back and we started telling people. Gave her notice. That we, had, we argued about that. I wanted her to keep her job because I was afraid. But she's like, no, no, I'm leaving. And we're moving. We, we, we gave our notice on our, on our condo and we, we found a place to live down here. And we started telling people, we're going to start a church. And they're like, we're 23. They're like, what? Uh, we, were in, we, were, we were in a Bible college environment, so they were like, oh, that's... Even they were skeptical. But I remember... I remember going to tell Tammy's grandmother, who was not a Bible college type of person, if you know what I mean, but she was like the matriarch of the family and slightly intimidating. And she lived here on the Cape, and I expected she would be happy because her granddaughter would be close by. Graham, we're coming to Cape Cod to start a church. And she said, you're doing what? <laughs> and she was like, how are you going to get, how are you going to live? How are you going to take care of my granddaughter? I don't know. <laughs> and I remember trying to explain to her, God called us. I mean, it even sounds weird to me. We believe God called us. It's powerful. What has God called you to? See, you're thinking, oh, well, that, that's, you know, that's cool. That's a cool story because you're a pastor and God calls people to be. No, 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 no. God, God calls you. You're a parent. Let me just say something. If you're a parent, a mom, a dad, God's called you to be a mom, to be a dad. And sometimes, man, the water is deep. And you got nowhere else to turn other than God called me to this. It's his calling. He's placed me in this son, in this daughter's life for just this purpose. 
Maybe you don't have kids. God's given you a spouse. God's called you to be a husband, to be a wife. There's a lot of a lot of you. You don't you don't have kids, or they're grown and they're gone and they're doing their own thing. And maybe you don't even have a spouse. And I want you to know, listen, God's calling is real. The church, I'm going to tell you, the, the church, like the, the big C global church, we really stink at singleness. We, we just like, we don't, we don't, that's a whole separate message. But, but, but there are seasons of your life and God has called you to this role and to be this person. And there are moments in your life, some of the most important moments when he's called you in a season of singleness to serve him in ways that are profound and powerful. God's called you to your job. Not, to, not just like, 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 like church job. For the last decade, Tammy's been a baker. And we deeply believe God called her to that. I love that calling, by the way. <laughs> Could God call you again, honey? Because I miss, I, miss, I miss the cake. I'm not lying. <laughs> right? Your work is, is divinely ordained. If God has placed you there, he's given you a reason for those people you're surrounded with, with the boss you serve or the employees you serve. Right? It's a calling. What has God called you to? Let me add one more. Sometimes... God calls us to suffering. I don't believe that God is the author of evil. But I do believe we live in a broken world that is full of evil. And I believe that our God is so profoundly powerful that he takes even the evil and the broken and the suffering and the sad and he uses them for his good. And he uses them to bring them around and through your suffering and struggle, he is calling you and using you and writing the greatest story of your life in that moment. He uses and calls us into that suffering. You see, your story is so much bigger than you or me. It's his story, and we're a part of it. Wow. You see, that story really gets started when you turned to Jesus and said yes to him. You became a disciple. Jesus, I, I hear you calling, inviting. And I say yes to you. And I just want to finish by saying this. Maybe you're here and you've been listening to all of this and this idea that God is writing a story with your life and you want to be a part of his story and you want to begin by saying yes to his gift of forgiveness, his gift of salvation, then I can't think of a better way to finish than to 
invite you into a moment of prayer where you begin that story by saying yes to Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. And God is writing a story and you're a part of it. What are you called to? What is he calling you to in your marriage, your children, in your friendships, in your work, in your struggle? There's something powerful about just saying it. God has called me to be this. Maybe you're ready to follow him, to become a disciple of Jesus. Say yes to his gift. You hear him knocking at the door of your heart and you're ready. I hope that this morning would be your morning. I'm going to lead in a prayer, but let me, let me just say this. I don't think there's a magic prayer that makes it so. It's the faith of your heart. God came after you. You're just responding to him. If you're ready to respond, I'd invite you to pray something like this. Dear God, I'm here. I hear you. And I say yes. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I place my faith, my trust in you. And you alone is my Savior. I accept your gift of forgiveness. Help me now to live my life as a disciple fully for you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.